Hi, and welcome to Travel Time. Today we're talking about another stop on our Grand Circle adventure to Moab, where we stayed two nights at the Homewood Suites in Moab and visited Canyonlands National Park and Arches National Park. Like I mentioned in the previous podcast, we drove over from Capitol Reef National Park the day before, so it was a pretty easy drive, a little over two hours in this segment again. We arrived in time for late dinner. In Moab, we had by far the most diverse options in terms of where we could eat for dinner and lunch of any of the places we'd been through so far, um, the smaller towns. So very hungry by the time we got there, so we stopped at the front desk and asked for a quick recommendation. There was something that was nearby um, that we wanted to check out. We had a few restaurants that we had kind of looked into in advance, but at this point we were just really hungry and wanted to walk somewhere close by. They recommended a local restaurant that had just recently opened, and it had opened in like the last year or so, and was only about a block away, called Trailhead Public House and Eatery. So we went and checked that one out. I will say the food was great. It was mostly burgers, salads, sandwiches, things like that. The atmosphere was nice, and they did also have live music. Um, Usually I'm not a huge fan of live music, because I think it's really hard to hear other people if you're talking at the table. But the volume on this one was not extreme, and the musician was really good. He played a variety of covers and made for a really nice evening. I would highly recommend checking them out if you're looking for dinner, especially if you're staying at the Homewood Suites, because it's just right there, a short walk away. Our plan for the day, we were going to go to Arches for the first full day, starting in the morning, and then go to Canyonlands the day after. We had seen that Arches had been closing at capacity every day by about 9 a.m. and we were watching that status on Twitter. You can also see it posted on the National Park Service website. But we were kind of watching it on Twitter and had it set up to text us anytime Arches tweeted so we would know the status and how things were going. And we planned to hand head out at 8 a.m. I've mentioned before that I don't have a lot of early risers in my group, so I did let them know that It keeps closing before nine. We need to get there a little bit earlier, get there by eight. So our plan was to leave right at eight, which would get us to the gate at about 8.10. And as we were walking out to the car, I got the text with the alert from Twitter that said it was closed already. So it closed significantly earlier the day we were there than it had several days before we were um, visiting. And so we kind of regrouped. We knew that it hit, it usually opened by, usually reopened about three to five hours after it closed almost every day. So we decided to do something else in the morning and try again in the afternoon. We decided to just go ahead and go to Canyonlands. We were gonna spend a half day there the next day, but we did just move that over to the day, that day. And we went ahead and went out to the Islands in the Sky District and decided to start there instead. Um, We did the scenic drive, and one benefit of getting up early for Arches already was that we just sailed into Canyonlands with pretty much no backup to get in. While we were on our way out later, it was seriously backed up, so we clearly had a good plan by doing that since we were already awake. It was, the backup was a lot of people we heard overheard at dinner and things like that later that it was people who wanted to go to Arches, couldn't get in, so they went to Canyonlands, but a lot of them had gotten a much later start, so they experienced a lot of backups getting into Canyonlands as well. So my takeaway here is if you want to go to Arches and you want to be during during the cooler part of the day, the morning, you should get up very early and either get there well before 8 o'clock and get in the line to Arches. Um, the all line to get in is usually 30 to 45 minutes long, so just be aware of that. 
and you really want to be there like by 7.15 based on talking to the rangers. If you want to get in there because by 8 it closes, so if you join the line to get in and it's too close to 8 o'clock, you may not get in because as soon as they hit capacity, they shut it off. It's a definite benefit to go in the mornings because it's much cooler and there's not a lot of shade in arches to begin with. So the benefit is there. It allows you to do a little bit more hiking and things like that without getting quite as hot or exhausted from this, just from the sun. But if you don't and you're planning to go like we were and you're planning to just try to go later in the morning, just be aware to watch Twitter or watch the National Park Service site to find out if it's going to be open. And that way you don't bother going over and trying to get there and turn around and come back out. And if you have Twitter, you might want to set it up as I did to have it text you for certain accounts like the National Park site for Arches. And at least just turn it on while you're there so that you can watch for whether they're open or closed. The cell coverage is pretty decent in the area. It's a little slow, but you should be able to get the alerts most of the time. The other thing is to have a backup plan. So our backup plan was just moving to Canyonlands that day and trying again for Arches. There are also several state parks in the area and a lot of other recreational activities in Moab outside of the two national parks that you can try. There's also another district Canyonlands Needles, which is within a quick drive from Moab. You could go there as well. So do a little research beforehand, have your backup plan so you're not scrambling when you find out you can't go there. And definitely check out before you leave the hotel because you don't want to drive all the way down, find out it's closed, and then at the gate, be trying to plan where you're gonna go next. The plan is basically what I would suggest. Our first stop when we got into Canyonlands was the visitor center. We noticed that the Grand View Point Overlook was a short trail just directly in front of the visitor center. So we went ahead and did that quickly. It has some great views of the canyons from there and it was just a short walk over Slick Rock. So it was pretty easy trail. You're walking directly on Slick Rock for it, as I mentioned, and it got to some really great views. Um, the next one we stopped at was White Rim Overlook Trail. And again, that one was a little further down the road. It was an out and back trail that is altogether about 1.8 miles. It just goes out on a piece of mesa that juts into the canyon and has really good views of the canyon. Very beautiful and the views were quite expansive, so that was really nice. So I really recommend that trail for the views, which are great. There is a little point where you can kind of stay and there's some spots that if you're, if you're up to getting into a little bit tighter spot, you can walk out a little bit further and get even better views of the canyon. We continued on the scenic drive and we passed Mesa Arch Trail. Our plan was to go there on the way back out of Canyonlands. The plans ended up changing, which I'll touch on later, but I did want to mention that just a little short 0.7 mile trail that went out to the little barge in the park. So I have heard that it's a nice view and heard good things about the trail. We did miss it. And again, I'll hit, we'll definitely hit that next time. We ended up going out to Whale Rock. We were hoping to take that trail because it was supposed to be like about a 0.7 mile trail, but we ended up not for two reasons. One, the parking lot was full. And two, we got a little confused with the signage. We thought there was the 0.7 mile trail, but the sign said it was a seven mile trail. So we didn't stop to kind of look further, but it turns out we were right. There is a 0.7 mile trail that just basically goes around Whale Rock. And there's a seven mile trail that goes a lot further out and has views of other areas based on what we saw in all the All Trails app. So unfortunately we didn't end up taking that, but we also couldn't have gotten a spot because the lot was full at the time we were there. So we headed over to the Green River Overview. 
it is only a 0.2 mile trail, has some really nice views of the Green River. And as we were leaving Green River to go back to Mesa Arch, we saw that Arches was reopening and they tweeted that they were open back at the gate. So we decided to grab some sandwiches and head over to Arches. On the way out of Canyonlands, the line to get in was huge, like I had mentioned before, and so it sounds like we hit the jackpot getting there, and we did. There were actually three different districts in Canyonland Park, and they're all quite large, and they're also not correct, connected directly by roads. So to get to the different districts, you have to go out and come around the park to get to the next entrance. As I mentioned before, we visited Island in the Sky, which is the one closest to the center of Moab. This is the one where the Colorado River and the Green River converge and is created basically an island in the sky. You can drive along the mesa top and look down into the canyon to see the views. The other districts are the Needles, which has more of kind of the fin formations like Bryce Canyon has, and the Maze, which is primarily backcountry. The three districts, as I mentioned, are not connected by roads directly within the park, and Island in the Sky is the most accessible. It does have a scenic drive and several hikes that vary from easy to rugged. The Needles is a little more backcountry, but it does have some trails that you can take to see the features and drive into the Needles district a bit. And then the Maze is quite remote and requires a lot of self-reliance if you're going to visit. Pretty much anywhere you go is going to be backcountry if you're in the Maze district. Moab is a good base to visit Island in the Sky or Needles. I'm not sure if there's a better place to jump off from if you're going to the maze, so I don't know. I do know that it's a very dis decent distance further than to drive the Needles or Island in the Sky, but I would say it's probably doable. We actually drove past where you turn off for the Needles the next day when we drove to Colorado. We headed, for now, to a subway that we'd seen on the way in, but it was closed when we drove in because it was early morning. It ended up that it was still closed, and the whole complex it was in was closed due to COVID and that whole thing was closed. We ended up going across the street to a, basically a camp store for a large campground, and we went in and got some grab-and-go sandwiches. Not the fanciest lunch, or necessarily the best lunch, but it was workable, and it allowed us to not risk Arches getting full again. So we wanted to try to get into Arches in case they would close a second time, so we headed out with the sandwiches. Arches National Park, like Bryce, is one that's very impacted by water. Water has eroded the rock um, by rain, of course, but also, and more prominently, in winter, snow melt and water freeze in the cracks in the rock and the crevices and fractures them as it freezes and expands. And then as that, keep, that process keeps repeating, it breaks off chunks of sandstone, which changes the shape and look of the rocks year to year over thousands of years. Basically, small pockets develop. They grow bigger with every storm that comes through and little by little it evolves into a fin or later an arch, and they continue to evolve in that way. You, arches usually form with, uh, within a fin, and arches can continue to evolve from there. And those changes are slow, but you can see them on repeat visits. And as an example, wall arch is an arch that I saw on my trip with my parents back in the 80s. It collapsed in 2008 before my kids came back and visited with me. So that was one example of a kind of dramatic change, even just during my lifetime. Another was Landscape Arch, which actually had a large set of slabs of rock fall from the underside of the arch back in 91. It resulted in an arch with a much larger opening underneath it, and it was a bigger opening than I would have seen in my visit in the 80s that my kids could see now. There is a video, someone actually 
had just hiked through Landscape Arch and took a heard popping and cracking and videoed the arch for a few minutes and actually caught the, the rock fall on tape or <laughs> caught the rock fall on video. And it's on the National Park Service site now um, because the visitors shared it back to the Park Service. So after we entered the park, we drove up onto the scenic road and we stopped at Park Avenue first. The sheer walls on Park Avenue reminded early visitors of a building with buildings lining a big city street. And honestly, it does look a lot like that. We stopped at the viewpoint, but there's also a trail about a mile and a half long to Courthouse Towers. And then to return, you basically just come back on the same trail. We ended up driving to Courthouse Towers instead of walking it because we wanted to be able to see more of the park and were concerned that would take up too much time. So we drove onto Courthouse Towers and were able to see Sheep Rock. Um, Sheep Rock is actually the third tallest tower in the park at 440 feet. And the three gossips can also be seen there, which is another rock formation. We continued on to the Petrified Dunes. The Petrified Dunes, like the Petrified Sand we saw in Capitol Reef, and we mentioned in the last episode, are remnants of the area's geological history of being under us. The sand dunes and droughts have basically cemented the rock after years and years of being covered by sediment and then exposed to erosion. So the Petrified Dunes in the place, you can't hike down there, it's just a viewpoint. And the next thing on our agenda was Balanced Rock. Balanced Rock stands about 128 feet tall, and the name is actually kind of a misnomer. It's not a balanced rock at all. It's a spire that's shaped by a boulder of sandstone, which is attached to an eroding pedestal of mudstone. So the bottom part of it is eroding at a much faster rate than the top part. And eventually the 3,600 ton boulder will tumble down as erosion continues and the base that supports it is not enough to keep it up. An example of that happening, the winter of um, 1975 to 76, a smaller version called Chip Field Block was right beside Balanced Rock. And it basically just collapsed because the boulder got heavier than the base would support and it just popped off. Uh, we turned right after we visited Balanced Rock and went down to the window section. One other nod I'll add here is that Park Avenue, Balanced Rock, and Double Arch in the window section are all featured in the opening scenes of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So if you do want to see those on film, it's fun to visit our shows and then watch, and you can see the different places you've just been. You can see some small differences. For the most part, they look pretty much the same as they look now. Uh, with the exception of in the movie, there is a cave inside Double Arch and there is not a cave inside Double Arch in real life. So we started out with the windows um, to have the full trail to the north window, south trail window, and turret arch around a mile. We started with the north window, and I mentioned there's a little bit longer hike you can take that loops around the back behind the windows that makes that trail a bit longer. We just did the small portion with the small offshoot trails within the windows itself, and started with the north window. Had some really great views there, and there's some great bouldering there because you can climb around a little bit in the bottom part of, this, of the window. The south window is a little less accessible from that standpoint of being able to climb around on things, but that was, a, that was obviously my favorite part when I was younger as a kid and my kids loved being able to just kind of boulder a bit. And so you're gonna be standing in one of the bigger arches in the park at south window though, because south window is the third biggest arch in the park, which is kind of neat to see that you can get that close to it. Turt Arch was my favorite though because you could climb around a bit more and there were also some nice places to explore and with views of the park that were really nice. 
it was a differently shaped arch, a little bit taller um, and a little bit less like expansive, like so it was skinnier, but had just had some nice features to it. We took a little water break at this point because it was very hot and we carried in a lot of water, which I recommend and had that ready to go. And just a short half mile trike we took to Double Arc. This trail also has some good views of Elephant Butte and the Parade of Elephants. And I should mention that Elephant Butte and the Parade of Elephants used to be part of the same fin that Double Arch formed from. So at one point, all of those were connected. And now some of them are separate pieces that aren't connected by more than small amounts of rock. The large arch in Double Arch is 112 feet tall and 144 feet wide, which makes it the tallest arch in the park and the third widest, so it's a very large arch. The smaller one is 86 feet by 767 feet, and the area between the two arches used to be a dome long ago, but collapsed um, some time ago. This is because double arch is what they call a pothole arch. It's formed by erosion from above instead of erosion from the sides. Usually, in the ones where erosion happens from the side, the wind and more accurately the water break through and cause an arch to form over, over many years. This time, the water collected on top and caused the erosion through the rock and caused the arch to collapse and fall. The elephant formations were also, as I mentioned, part of the same rocks and fins. After the window section, we drove up to the short trail leading to the upper viewpoint to Delicate Arch, which is a great short hike of about a half mile has a nice view of the iconic arch in the distance. There is a much larger trail that you can take to Delicate Arch, that's so a quite rugged trail, but we didn't have time to do that because um, we did have reservations for dinner, so we had to get out of the park at a certain time. So we drove back to Devil's Garden, hoping we could maybe get a glimpse of some of the arches back on that trail from a distance. Um, we didn't have time to go back on the trail, which is disappointing and something that we could have done if we'd been able to get in in the morning. But we did, get, we did just go back and still saw some nice landscape back there, even if we couldn't see the arches. We actually had to head out about 5 p.m., as I mentioned, because we had reservations on the Sunset Boat Tour, the Sunset Jet Boat Tour with Canyonlands by night and day. It ran about $100 a person, and the office and dock is right on the way back to Moab from Arches. So it's very close, very centrally located to pretty much any place you're sightseeing or spending time. The boat tour went down the Colorado River and then went back into Canyonlands National Park via the river. The whole boat part of the trip is about an hour and a half and goes about 36 miles round trip. The trip departs at sunset, so the departure time does vary through the year and you'll have to check with the site. Generally, it's somewhere between five and seven. We saw some petroglyphs along the way on the walls and some additional arches and rock formations that aren't visible from the roads or overlooks. And that was really cool. The guide shared some geology and the history of Moab um, along the trip, which was really fun. And at the end of the boat trip, there's a Dutch oven dinner that they serve to you, which is another hour. And they had some pretty good food. Just a nice evening. We had salad bar. There was dessert. I think it was apple crisp. And then we had a, a variety of barbecued and roasted meats like beef, chicken, pork, um, as well as potatoes, baked beans, corn rolls, and soft drinks. You can also purchase beer or mixed drinks with the bar. And I'll add that you can actually even take a beer or mixed drink on the cruise if you would like. You just have to purchase a wristband and have a ticket on your wristband. My husband did that. There were not very many people who chose to do that, but it's definitely allowed. And it's important to know that 
the bar is not actually on the boat, so you do have to get it from the bar inside the restaurant and then take it onto the boat. And um, it's about the trip, and I, I would really suggest it. It's a really fun trip to see from the bottom of the canyon. It was really relaxing after a hot day of hiking and um, exploring in the sun. Much cooler um, in the places that we were because it's sunset. A couple of notes that might be helpful if you're thinking of doing this. Guests must be at least four to ride. There is a child price if your child is between four and 12 and they do give a small discount. I don't remember it being a huge discount, but there was one. I would advise reserving online in advance. We booked out about six months in advance, but it does look like it consistently fills up about two to three months before the boat trip. They usually have a note in there to say, call if there's a, to see if there's availability because they might be able to get you in. I know that's not 100%, always 100%, so booking online is your best bet. And make sure that you have it when you get there. There's a little gift shop on the left-hand side when you get there, and that's where you check in, get your boarding tickets, and your drink wristbands if you pay for them. And then you just walk over to the dock and wait to board. There's some benches set up by the dock. They have another cruise that they offer on the jet boat that is dinner first, and then a cruise right after it. So that cruise happens pretty much at night, not at sunset. And they do do, on that cruise, kind of like a sound and light show up on a canyon wall with music and things like that. We would, we decided to do the first one because we figured you would not see as many of the rock formations and things in the dark. And it would probably, but it probably would be some good star casing other than the light show. So some people might really feel for a light show. Some people might just prefer the, just enjoying the nature as you go along. I would definitely do the boat trip again. It was a really fun experience. A couple options to pick from, which was nice. They offer, offer some other kinds of things um, other than the evening jet boat tours. So if you're looking for an activity to do outside of the national parks, that might be a good option. The guide we had was really nice. All the people we ran into were nice and um, yeah, just a good experience overall. For our last half day, my son started out with a run on the Mill Creek Parkway. If you're looking for a place to run in Moab, that's a fairly good place to run. I walked along that path while he was running, enjoyed just checking out a lot of the vegetation and the birds and things like that while I was waiting. And we spent the morning shop Moab and had some lunch at Spoke on Center before we headed out of town. This restaurant I'd highly recommend. There's a little, it's a, it's a little quirky and fun atmosphere and had some great options on the menu. We ate indoors, but there was also a ton of outdoor seating, so you could pick either one. There were not very many people indoors at all when we ate there. Um, I don't know if it was because they were eating outside due to COVID or just one preferred to be outside. We were fairly hot, so we just wanted a break from the heat, so we came in. I will say one thing we noted was they also had great shakes. Um, both my boys got the shakes and they really enjoyed them. I would definitely suggest checking this place out for a lunch or a dinner. Um, just really good service, good options for food, and quite a few different options from the standard fare. We stopped shopping after that and we ended up heading to Cortez, Colorado for our next stop, which will be our next episode. We were headed to Mesa Verde and two nights in Cortez with a full day at Mesa Verde and basically a stopover before our four hour long trip to the Grand Canyon. I will talk more about that in our next episode though. Until then, happy travels.